You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Welcome to Security Sandbox. I'm Amanda Pinnell, Chief Security Officer at Relativity, where we help the legal and compliance world solve complex data problems securely. And that takes a lot of creativity. One of the best things about a sandbox is that you can try anything. This season, let's explore how curiosity and personal passions inspire stronger security. Grab your shovel and let's dig in. Don't make me laugh. (laughs) Don't make me laugh. Okay. Well, now that you said it. (laughs) All right. For today's shift, our sandbox has been sculpted into an operating table where we will be racing against the clock to stem and stitch up a nasty data breach. The Surgeon General on call is my good friend and husband, Dr. Renard Sharif Fennell, practicing neurosurgeon at Oshner Medical Center. In addition to his intimate knowledge of the brain and spine, he also played defensive lineman at the University of Massachusetts, yet he's regularly pancaked by our three children. Also in the operating suite is my longtime partner in security, Darren Lewis, staff threat intelligence analyst on Relativity's Calder 7 security team. He keeps his finger on the pulse and will be closely watching the blood pressure of this podcast. Well, one of the the first things I definitely want to get out in the open is let's talk about the term on call, because Mm. this means similar and different things for both of you. I'm going to start with you, Sharif. What does, because as your wife, this is difficult. I have a long, strong opinion about this situation. Yeah. You with an opinion? Come on now. That's odd. (laughs) Obviously, you two know each other. It's fine. It's fine. Sharif, please tell us all, what does the term on call mean to you? Um, Really, in short, it means being available at all times. Sometimes that means operating through the night or through the day. Sometimes that means taking phone calls through the night and through the day or any combination of the two for a day, a few days. And it means different things at different places. Uh, particularly if you're a trauma center, so. I, I've got I've got an opinion here too. Oh, I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> on call on call for you for me means that you're sleeping on the couch because your phone's going off too much, and you're not drinking wine with me, which yeah. is like the two takeaways that I have. All right, Darren, I I suspect that's not what you use the term on call for in threat <laughs> intelligence. By all means, what what's your interpretation of the term on call? Well, it's similar to on-call for medical in some ways. I mean, it can happen literally any time of the day or night, uh, just because the internet itself doesn't have global boundaries and it crosses any time zone. Uh, You kind of have to be ready to get up and go um, using years of experience to discover what has happened, Uh, because you never know what's going to happen, how it affects your organization, kind of what the immediate next steps would be. Also, who else is going to need to get up and get going and working on the problem? So Darren, let's talk about research. How do you approach it? How do you know when you've done enough research on a topic? What does enough and good enough look like? Well, it depends on the level of the panic attack that you're having at the moment. Um, (laughs) Quite honestly, we see things in the news that just incite firestorms and it will stop organizations. They will stop functioning until someone understands what's going on. And so research for me is... Uh, it starts with, you know, always keeping up your technical skills, but in the end, it really means digging until you found what the answer is. I'm going to ask Sharif the same question, because I know he researches before a big case when he's doing a new approach, et cetera. I'll see him walking around with a book 
And when I see him walking around with the book, I love to joke. And I'm like, what, you don't know how to do brain surgery? And I know it's not brain, it's neuro. I, I know that. But uh, same question to you. I mean, that's that's honestly one of the one of the reasons why I like medicine in general is that you there's there is too much to to just know all the time because it's constantly changing. And so you kind of have to constantly keep up. Darren, does this sound slightly familiar? Yeah, I'm just kind of wondering. So depth versus breadth. I mean, medicine is this huge field. So how far do you go widthwise and where do you stop? I mean, do you literally just stop at the vessels and the brain or are you whole body? Do you have to know everything about everything? So in, 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 so at different stages, you have to know different levels of breadth, breadth and depth. So from the medical school part, you actually have a very wide breadth of understanding. And, and, and I remember people used to say this to me when I was a medical student that, oh, you probably know this better than I do. And the residents would say this, and sometimes even attendants would say this. And it didn't make sense to me. But in retrospect, it's absolutely true. As a medical student, you're, you know, studying 16-ish hours a day. And so now, really what I, you know, my very simplistic way of looking at things from a surgical standpoint is I, as I look at the, the disease entity itself, uh, what the, how um, it affects a person in terms of, you know, what their presenting symptoms are, and then uh, how that correlates to what area is affected um, mm -hmm. and trying to, and almost kind of, you know, uh, similar to some sort of malware, maybe kind of reverse engineer and go back to oh what's, my God. what's happening. I'm so proud of you right, right now. Okay. All right. So uh, what has been your most challenging surgery? So, and I've told you this before, I think you- I would hope I know. Yes, you, you do know. Um, so I, I think one of the most challenging cases uh, took place when I was a, a fellow um, and I had a tremendous mentor there uh, Dr. Robert Spetzler, who's a, you know, phenomenal teacher. He's a phenomenal surgeon. Um, and he's a phenomenal person. We were doing, um, this, uh, procedure on a, um, young woman in her mid twenties. And she had, um, what we call, uh, an AVM or an arterial venous malformation. So sometimes these, these AVMs can be very compact and they can have this ball of misshapen blood vessels with abnormal arterial flow and dilated veins coming out. And they can rupture, they can cause seizures, they can cause massive headaches and so forth. So a lot of times they need to be resected. Hers was relatively small, but it had this larger component that looked like a cyst. Um, and in retrospect, it was not a cyst. It was, it was a, a, a vascularized cyst wall. This was a, you know, a part of it that made it challenging was uh, underestimating uh, this disease pathology, which is something from that I will never, ever do again. Um, and making the approach vector probably a little bit smaller than it should have been to try and be, you know, quote unquote, cute. Um, uh, and it kept bleeding. And one of the most harrowing things about being a, a, about, um, about cerebrovascular neurosurgery is when things are bleeding at you and, and it becomes very difficult to stop, it is very, there is a very visceral response that happens with your heart rate, with your mindset, with everything. And that honestly makes it, made it to me the most difficult part. And then the funny thing is at the conclusion of that, this, doing this case with Dr. Spetzler um, and one of the chief residents, at the end, you know, he didn't yell. He was very calm. He, um, you know, uh, he was, was quick. He just turned to me and said, oh, that was tough. And that was it. 
I remember whenever Sharif went through that, it was, it was harrowing and he came home and he looked at me and he doesn't always tell me very much about what's going on. Cause I think it's nice for you to have, like, you come home and you don't have to talk about the thing you just spent all day dealing mm, with. Um, either that, or I'm just really self-absorbed. It's one or the other, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Darren's laughing. Cause he's like, yeah, that sounds right. So Darren, um, Whenever we've had these incidents and we've said stop the bleeding and there's been paranoia and so on, which one comes to mind? The biggest, you know, adversary you've had to go up against, the biggest moment that you also had to look around and say that was tough. You know, it's not always the biggest. In fact, I have to back up just a little bit. Um, so about 12 years ago, I decided that I needed to <clears throat> deal more with people than technology just because I was kind of losing my humanity sitting in front of electronics and a keyboard all day long. And so I decided to become a, a volunteer medic. And it was two years to get to basic and then another two to get to kind of where you could do drugs and cardiac and a lot of studying. And so I commiserate, uh, certainly not on the level that you're at or anywhere close, but um, I certainly understand. And uh, one of the things that it did give me was this uh, feeling about how humanity and technology are kind of not separate, um, that there are actual people behind attacks and behind um, bad behavior. And so the, the worst situation that I've been in and probably the most memorable to date um, was working uh, in a company that was tracking child abusers online, in particular um, child pornography and being a restricted thing. You, can't even you can't even bring it up inside a monitor because you don't want to see it, but it's illegal to do. How do you protect yourself? They they call that secondary trauma, right, Darren? When the people yeah. the investigators, yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of trauma there. You end up talking to people about it. You do a little therapy. That's one of my questions: was how do you come home and, or in this case during COVID, how do you move away from the computer and 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 unwind and switch gears? What do you do? Uh, thank God for Netflix and the internet. That's all I can say. Uh, I have been binge watching lately, and uh, I, so this week has been binge watching um, glass blowers. For some reason, that's so calming for me. I love glass blowing. Really big fan. Okay, Sharif. Well, you know, it's interesting. Like you know, like when you mentioned, you know, trying to you know uh, take care of yourself, and and I think there are lots of corollaries to medicine in the same way just like you said you know you you as a medic you can, you can come on this you can come on the scene and see body parts and then you have to be able to kind of you know you know that's reality and you know that it happens but it doesn't make it that less uh, affecting you in addition to the you know the technical aspect of whatever you're doing the some of the most difficult parts um are you know being able to protect yourself uh, but at the same time, being empathetic to uh, patients and their families and, you know, trying to help steer them through some of the most difficult things. And some of the things that I do to relax, honestly, is to try and just be is to be normal, you know, is to kind of, you know, um, tuck in my kids, give Amanda a kiss if she'll let me hug her, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um um, but, and that, you know, uh, but also, you know, sometimes watch Netflix or watch foot or watch sports or just kind of, you know, I also, you know, you know, like we're Buddhist and, and some, and a lot of times I, I chant, you know, to kind of help myself to kind of wind down, so to speak, you know, and to kind of process what may have happened during the day or even that's still happening, you know, and trying to put that in the 
appropriate context. And do you um do you find yourself building a shell that uh, the professional shell that you wear? I try very hard not to. Oh, he does. I try very hard oh, not to. Oh, he does. I've seen him one time. I saw him at work. It was like 10 years ago. And I'd never seen him at work before. And it was jarring. It's it's tough doing residency because the, you know, the hours are long now. But like the hours are doing residency are, they're long, they're unforgiving. And you're just f***ing tired all the time. <laughs> not that I'm not tired now. But I mean, you're just, you are exhausted in every aspect, emotionally, spiritually. Mm. This is again, why this is in part why I have to chant every single day, because if I didn't, it would be, it's very easy to become cold. It's very easy to put a mm. shell around yourself mm. to protect yourself. You know, I may outwardly project as being a emotional sometimes, but I'm a very emotional person. And so, you know, taking in their grief can weigh on me. And so I, I do have to, you know, find places to it's a it is a it's a it's a always changing balance of being empathetic and listening to someone and having a you know, having a real life to life and heart to heart kind of discussion without taking all of it in, kind of quote unquote protecting myself so I don't go down this rabbit hole. All, so, you know. Darren, you made a comment one time that said in in terms of being in the in you know the emergency medical realm this is the worst day of that person's life hmm. when yeah. you've showed up, you know? And I think it's like that insecurity. It's the worst day in a lot of people's life uh, from a company perspective. And sure, it's not life and death, but it's still that that feeling of like, you know, when you come upon a scene, it's the worst day of those people's lives and you have to be the calm in that storm and you have to try yeah. to to navigate, right? No, not at all. And in fact... <laughs> Um, lately, the two that are uh, definitely on the top of my no-no list are romance scams, which is something that is pissing me off to no end to take people that are at the most emotionally vulnerable points in their life where they're trying to find a connection with another human being and then using that as a methodology to exploit them, to steal money from them or to steal their identity that that just has some personal resonance that I cannot get away from. So um, there's the child people, right? So anyone who's abusing children in any mechanism, methodology, whatever they're doing. And then there's the, you know, the run of the mill stuff. Like I'm just stealing money and skimming credit cards, that kind of stuff that doesn't, doesn't evoke those kind of visceral responses that you, that you tend to have when it's something that's near and dear to you. What's your, so when it comes down to security 101, we want mm -hmm. to prevent everything. So what's your advice for the best prevention in security? I mean, we discussed it earlier, right? Prevention is just knowing what's out there so that it doesn't come to your doorstep. Uh, the, more the more prepared you are, the more you understand things and the bigger picture, the better you can prepare yourself. You have, you have to know who the bad guys are, what they do, kind of how they do it, um, what in the world is going on that triggers that event? Because um, it's strange. People sometimes won't do things until there's this triggering event. That's why we have you, Darren, is because we do focus on threat intelligence and we want to know what bad is out there and what's coming down, down the pike. Hmm. So, Sharif, I'm going to ask you a question that's really going to set you up for success here because I know you've had to answer this so many times in your life. How do you prevent strokes? It's a good question. Is um, it? Yeah, it is. I it thought is. of it, it myself. Is. Yeah, that's very good. 
you know, it's, I'd hate to be simplistic, but being healthy, you know, controlling your diabetes, if you have it, keeping your blood sugar under control, um, uh, keeping your cholesterol under control, certainly controlling your high blood pressure, being physically active and eating healthy. Um, those now, are, those we, are, we, really don't, good we, we don't talk about this a lot in society because there's still a huge stigma around it, but talk about the, um, the impacts of psychological health here. Mm. Excuse me. Ideally, you want to treat the person and not treat the image, you will not treat the disease, but take care of the person overall. And many times that means understanding and trying to address all areas. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't personally think you personally as a, as a medic or nurse or physician or PANP, whatever, I don't think you personally have to take all the responsibility to quote unquote, cure all that, but you do have to take into account. And make sure that, you know, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like similar to like this is this is a very wide breadth of uh, of understanding. For instance, one of the more common things that happens is that, you know, people who have aneurysms in their brain and they and they rupture and they have subarachnoid hemorrhage. They oftentimes um, after if they survive the hemorrhage, um, a lot of times they don't. If they survive the hemorrhage and they get treated, a lot of times they can have residual seizures. They can have depression. Uh, they can have worsening depression. Um, they can have anxiety, um, and uh, they can have some personality changes. So, just treating the ruptured aneurysm in of itself is incomplete at best. I've been in a room with a bottle of wine and the two of you before, and I know this could be a long, a long conversation. <laughs> I'm gonna probably move us towards our wrap up here because I want to make sure we keep it short, sweet, and that people really see how well these two realms blend together. <laughs> neurosurgery and security is is very much an overlap in my yeah. life, but it, but also in, in your life, Darren, <laughs> it comes across. But even in security, when we walk away from this listening, I, I hope that you'll put together a few of the tidbits we've learned on how these work together and incorporate them in your program. A couple just to make sure that you heard them really well. The first one is when you do your research on new things, which you always have to do. I love your point, Darren, that it's, it is a, me a measure of the breadth and the width. Make, you know, keeping that eye on how far you're going to go and how deep you're going to go in those topics is a great calibration. That remembering to unwind, we need to learn it, even if we're still working on learning it, Darren. We've, we're, we're trying to figure it out right now, but it is important for us to be able to do that shift. And then I do love that learning how to be the calm when it's someone's worst day. I think in both of these realms, we do that a lot. One of my favorite quotes was uh, from Horatio Hornblower. It's never run on deck. It makes everyone else nervous. I love that because that's really what it's about when you're in the surgery. It's what it's about when you're in the middle of an incident, Darren, it's the the calm. So we put these, these all together and you're laughing. Is that funny? No, it's funny because one of my attendees once said that to me, like he said, never run to a trauma. Oh, walk quickly, walk quickly. Don't run. And he, the he was the fire department has a very similar saying. It is this is not your emergency. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Well, I will end our podcast today with probably the most important quote we'll have, which is from the great Sharon Stone. <laughs> I know. People in history and all of time. It's the great, it's, it's the great Sharon Stone. If you act like you know what you're doing, you can do anything you want except neurosurgery. <laughs> <laughs>
I had not heard that one before. It's awesome. Look, it is uh, a lot of people's worst day in their life, indeed, whenever we have to be in that surgery or in that incident. But today has been one of my better days, and I'm glad that you two were here. I enjoy always getting to have a conversation with both of you. So thank you so much for joining, and I look forward to having both of you back on. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for digging into these topics with us today. We hope you got some valuable insights from the episode. Please share your comments, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Security Sandbox is produced by Relativity. Our theme music was created by Monarch. Find us wherever you listen to your podcasts or visit relativity.com for more episodes.